This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books and Gender Studies, our podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Da-In Choi, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Min Jung Kim about her book, Elusive Belonging, Marriage, Immigrants, and Multiculturalism in Rural South Korea. Min Jung Kim is an associate professor and department chair of sociology at San Diego State University. Min Jung, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Yeah, thank you for coming. We're very excited. Um, To begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I am uh, from South Korea, uh, and currently I'm teaching at San Diego State. Um, My research areas, um, they are about gender and family um, in the context of international migration. Um, And that's the uh, topic we're going to focus on, I guess, with my book today. Um, I also study um, gender and race in the media. Um, I have uh, smaller projects uh, about that. Uh, especially in the U.S. media. Hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, media is especially like such a uh, important topic right now too. Um, I'm really excited for you to explore that. Uh, my next question is: How did you come to write "Elusive Belonging"? So, um, when I was a PhD student, um, I was looking for an interesting, you know, what a topic um, for my dissertation. Uh, And then I watched this uh, Korean documentary show, uh, uh, about uh, marriage immigrants. And I got, it was very fascinating um, because um, when I was in Korea and, you know, my previous knowledge was how Koreans are um, rather not so friendly to um, foreigners. And that particular uh, documentary showed that these ruler elderly uh, Koreans uh, were really kind of embracing uh, Filipina marriage immigrants. Um, And I got really curious and I wanted to find out. Um, So I did my field work um, for my dissertation project. um, And then I published several articles and book chapters. Uh, and then uh, I poured the, uh, the other stories that I could not um, put in uh, published articles and book chapters into this book. Um, and it touches, and I was happy to write uh, this book because I could uh, kind of show this uh, broader picture of the communities that I examined um, uh, in this book. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed by your ethnography as well. Um, and it is really in depth. Um, and I 
wanted to ask you actually because um you were mentioning how your motivation was from this documentary. Uh, you do talk about um in your introduction how uh Filipina uh marriage immigrants are seen as different from uh, for example like Joseonjok marriage immigrants that used to be very prevalent um but then now not so much anymore um because the trend is changing. Um so uh can you tell us more about more about the particularity or um of Filipina uh, immigrants uh, marriage immigrants experiences? Sure. Um so uh in Korea generally international mar- marriage international marriage um was something that people really didn't embrace before at least the, before the 21st century um but there were people who married internationally um we've seen a lot of cases of you know Japanese uh, Korean couples um and American uh, and Korean couples. Uh, mostly it was between Korean women and Japanese or American men. Um, and we knew about uh, pen pals uh, between Korean women and uh, European men, uh, Korean women and European men, um, but not so much with the Korean men and foreign women. Um, and also, I'm sorry, Diane. <laughs> Um, what was the question? Oh, 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 yeah, no worries. Yeah, that happens actually all the time. Oh, yeah, my question was, uh, maybe I didn't ask you clearly. Uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, um, in the introduction, um, you talk about how Joseonjo marriage immigrants, for example, are, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, Mm. um, so there were, uh, international marriage, um, however, they were with people who had uh, historical connections to Koreans. Um, Japan is a neighboring country, so Korea and Japan has a long history. Um, and the United States, um, their presence in the U.S., especially in, in Korea, uh, especially after the Korean War, um, kind of opened opportunities for uh, Koreans and Americans uh, to me, um, but Filipinas were really new to Koreans. We did not necessarily have close relationship, well, any relationship uh, with the Philippines. Uh, so um, seeing, uh, I guess, except for um, Filipino migrant workers who started coming in the 90s. Um, so it was really new to see uh, Filipinas uh, marrying Korean men. And um, and they were different. Uh, they were different in the sense that their looks were different. Um, their cultures were different. Uh, of course, Koreans and Chinese and Japanese. They they are some people would say that they look different. And their cultures are different. But East Asians um, sometimes they also they have a long history together. Um, so Filipinas. They were kind of newcomers uh, to Koreans. And that's what really intrigued uh, my interest in this topic, um, because this really was a new era for Korea. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, um, talking about history and how people view these um, immigrant marriage immigrants. This actually reminds me of your discussion in chapter six about how race is defined in Korea. Uh, You also talk about this in your introduction too, and how various um, inclusion and exclusion um, strategies are used. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about the definition of race in 
Korea because I think it's really intriguing because it is different from how we conceptualize it in America. as well as uh, the multiculturalism projects and policies regarding this marriage immigrant by the Korean government. So um, I did talk about race uh, in my book um, because um, race was something that uh, Koreans or the Korean uh, government uh, did not talk about, uh, especially related to multicultural families. Um, Of course, the term multicultural family um, that the Koreans used to describe uh, the families with the marriage immigrants um, have been uh, criticized, has been criticized and uh, contested uh, by many scholars and pundits. Um, I felt, I argue uh, in my book that the term multicultural family um, actually overlooks the issues related to race. In the United States, maybe Asians, um, regardless where they are from, they are kind of lumped into this one category of Asians or Asian Americans. Um, However, there are a lot of diversity, uh, not just in terms of language and cultures, but also appearances and looks. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in Asia, there are, uh, there is Uh, racism um, in some countries uh, against other Asian countries, uh, against other Asians. Uh, And in Korea, um, based on uh, people's skin color, um, uh, Koreans have uh, prejudice uh, prejudice, uh, or biased opinions. Um, And Filipinos uh, or Filipinas uh, who whose skin color is considered darker, um, they are also a target of racist attitude and discrimination uh, by Koreans. And I wanted to kind of highlight that. Um, and I think it it, it it adds to existing racial discourses um, in Korea. So related to racism in Korea, I would like to recommend um, the book Imperial Citizens by Nadia Kim. And she really delves into this history of racial discourses in Korea um, and how it follows this, um, I guess, um, very simplified um, discourse that was introduced uh, in the modern era, uh, late 19th century and early 20th century. Um, it, in Korea, before, um, before, prior to the 21st century, um, three races existed, uh, white and black and yellow. Uh, and in a way, the introduction of Filipinos and other Asian uh, migrants um, to the Korean society, um, we can really complicate and open up this discussion about race and racism. However, uh, even though racial discrimination and racist attitudes exist in Korea, um, unfortunately, I don't think scholarly conversations about race has been um, galvanized. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Oh, within the Korean uh, scholarly communities, right? Mm. Uh, I think yeah. there are some. I think there are some scholars um, who definitely focus on racial discussions uh, or discussions on race and racism. Um, and there are there are there are scholars who focus on African migrants' experiences in Korea. Um, however. Um, I don't think they have. Uh, there was a um, huge interest in um, discussing 
race and racism uh, in a more nuanced, um, deep way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I totally agree with that. And this is something that I felt too in uh, my own research uh, and also my personal experiences as well, because um, you do often see representation and people's interaction of uh, um, South, South Asians and, you know, people call them like 저쪽 사람, uh, which like other them. Uh, and because I think race has traditionally really focused on America. Um, so how, you know, Asians, and then as you said, you know, really eloquently, like how uh, America, uh, America just lumped together Asians, even though there's huge like economic disparity, like educational disparity within this, uh, this group, um, and also the treatment within Asia itself. I think that it just really flattens out the discourses that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And more yeah. problematic, especially with the Korea's multicultural family, is that um, they, from the beginning, they emphasize the cultural differences uh, to explain the experiences of families who are uh, internationally married. And in a way, they kind of promoted this idea that um, marriage, if Im- marriage immigrants assimilate, or if they learn more about Korean culture and language, uh, their troubles will go away or will be um, resolved in some way. Uh, there, the idea is that uh, if we can minimize or alleviate, uh, we can find some kind of clarity. I don't know. Um, but the problem is that um, it is not just cultural differences. Um, it is not something that we can learn to assimilate and kind of overcome. Um, and that... Uh, that approach actually ignores racial prejudice, um, which is based on skin color that cannot be changed. So um, so in a way, their uh, approach um, did not necessarily consider um, the divide that cannot be easily overcome. Uh, and that's why I felt it was important to point out uh, racialization of marriage uh, immigrants in Korea. Although that was a kind of part of the chapter, but I felt um, strongly about including that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that insightful comment because I think that cultural difference can sometimes, I mean, can very often actually be. Uh, like a softer hegemony in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems not as uh, disruptive as racial difference, but at the same time, uh, a lot of, you know, horrible like assimilation policies happen under, um, you know, cultural differences. Um, so I really appreciated that. And that actually brings me to your chapter five, making multiculturalism and your critic of makeshift multiculturalism and how you point out that community volunteers and um, social workers, uh, so-called multicultural agents, um, expect, um, you know, repayment in a way for uh, this uh, service that they are uh, giving to marriage immigrants um, that you call economy of gratitude. Um, So I wonder whether, um, you know, you can tell us a little bit more about makeshift multiculturalism and economy of gratitude and how that plays a role in your book. Right. Thank you so much for asking that question. Um, I should first uh, mention that uh, makeshift multiculturalism uh, was the term that was used uh, by the late, uh, great uh, Nancy Abelman. 
relatives of uh, who passed away recently. Um, and she, in her work uh, about uh, Korea's merger uh, policies, um, she talked about how Korea's merger culturalization, merger culturalization sense that um, the policies and also um, policy measures, they were um, created and practiced in a really hasty manner. Um, and that's how a lot of you know Korean government officers uh, work too. Um, they have a goal, and a lot of people get together and they try to make it happen. Um, and that kind of drive uh, can really work well for certain things. However, we question: Is it possible to do that uh, with multicultural policies? So, for example, when I was in my field, um, uh, I saw a lot, I mean, these multicultural agents who I call, um, they are social workers, uh, government uh, agents, um, and community members um, who take a lot of interest uh, in the lives of marriage immigrants. And they come with a lot of um, goodwill. They really want to help uh, marriage immigrants. However, um, even scholars, uh, experts, um, do not necessarily think about what multiculturalism means and what a multicultural society looks like. And of course, over the years, um, people, um, scholars and activists uh, criticized uh, Korea's multicultural policies for being assimilationist um, because they began to learn, they began to realize um, that's not what we want to see. However, that is not necessarily the case for everyone. Uh, government agents, um, they are oftentimes, um, they are assigned to uh, their department to serve uh, various immigrants. Um, I mean, I cannot say for all of them. I hope and I assume that some of them come with some qualifications. Um, but many of them, they are there without necessarily specialized knowledge in multiculturalism because it was new to the whole country. Um, Korea always considered itself as homogeneous country um, and Koreans always considered themselves as a homogeneous people. So when they came and they came with a goal to accomplish something in their quarter uh, in a given time, uh, it was really difficult to see meaningful conversations or um, some critical dialogues among themselves. So um, when I was in the field, um, I was there uh, teaching Korean to marriage immigrants. Uh, we would often get a survey from a university professor um, in different units, and there's no introduction um, from the university professors. Just the surveys were given uh, to the Catholic Church, uh, where we have these Korean classes, and they just, um, marriage immigrants would just fill out the form. So um, there were a lot of interest in them, but oftentimes Koreans were kind of rushed to do, um, produce, rushed to uh, conduct a survey, produce reports, um, and that's it. So, um, I mean, I do want to believe that some folks, they try to do their work um, for better future for marriage immigrants. And there were some um, very meaningful changes that were made over the years. 
Um, however, when you think about the amount of work that was done and the amount of money that was invested in for this huge multicultural family um, policies uh, since the mid uh, 2000s, um, one has to wonder how much uh, did, how should I say, um, Considering how much we spend, one could argue that we really didn't um, make that much progress. Mm. Yeah, and tying it back to the previous comments that you make, having one ideal of multiculturalism in itself is such a political project. And this idea of cultural differences itself is very racialized. So thinking of all those nuances and um, some of the harmful aspects of cultural difference as a concept or an idea. Yeah, I think I can definitely see how this project, you know, even if Asians have goodwill, can be co-opted in a way. Yeah. Mm. So I I thought it was very insightful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And also, I think to your earlier question about uh, this multicultural uh, economy of gratitude, uh, which I kind of built on uh, Ali uh, Hochschild's concept of economic gratitude uh, in her work, The Second Shift. And I apply that um, uh, concept to this situation um, where uh, Korean um, multicultural agents, uh, community members and and government agents, um, they, like I said, um, they want to really help marriage immigrants. And that's why they um, implemented uh, multicultural family policy um, to help support uh, marriage immigrants um, to uh, ha- make a better life uh, in Korea. Uh, however, um, I'm sorry, instead of however, I should say that um, when they do that, um, they did so with gratitude. Um, a lot of marriage immigrants came to marry, uh, especially rural bachelors. And in Korea, since the 80s, um, we had this uh, social issue of rural bachelors um, who could not find wives. uh, And the Korean government really took interest in uh, these men's well-being. Um, They created actually a national committee to um, basically uh, find wives for these men. Um, And then marriage immigrants came and almost this problem uh, looked like it was going away. So multicultural agents, um, they started uh, their activities to help these women out of gratitude, solving this issue of um, rural bachelors. However, what is interesting is that um, while they express their gratitude, while they offer these services, public services um, for uh, marriage immigrants, they realized that that gratitude scale was being tipped over. And in exchange, they wanted marriage immigrants to stay in marriage, no matter how difficult their married life is. And they also wanted them to assimilate. So I found that really fascinating. And it doesn't just happen here, uh, everywhere. Immigrants, when they go to a new country, the host country oftentimes expect them to make contributions 
so that their presence in the host country can be deserving. We want them to be contributing members of the society. Then you can have a better relationship with the state, the government. But one has to wonder, um, what does that mean for refugees? What does that mean for people who just want to move to another country? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, that is such an important question. And I think especially now in this political, politically turbulent time where, uh, because there is, there has always been this rhetoric of deserving immigrants, that you deserve to be here, you're legal, um, right? Yeah. Um, but then under the Trump administration, um, obviously that's just getting like pushed and, you know, any kind of racialized immigrants are now just seen as undeserving and that just also has a whole baggage of um, a history uh, of like exclusion and racialization actually as an international student in the US right now um, I am having a lot of trouble as well like I used to be welcomed in this country but now I'm no longer and uh, my status is uh, in jeopardy because of the new administration so I think this like question of um, yeah deserving immigrants uh, contributing back to the economy uh, is really like relevant um even though i guess i'm in a different place uh, from the uh, marriage immigrants that you uh, have interviewed and done the field work with but yeah that's a very insightful yeah thank you for the thank you for your insightful words um and well, i think, think also <laughs> your i think application is important to think about even in the united states uh, immigrants were allowed when they have families already here, or you have to have money, or you have to have educational capacity. So we never accept anybody without condition. There is always a screening process for immigrants, and it is not conservatives measure. Um, liberal and progressive um, politicians before they created these measures uh, and regulations immigration policies. Um, and that policy, when that, I think that policy also ha- had um, this room for slippery slope, because in every, um, in different times, people will make a different assessment who are deserving immigrants. So before, um, people who pursue higher education, um, they were welcome. However, now um, some folks argue that that's not enough because they are actually, they, we are, because um, they argue that we are opening up um, for opportunities to take more of our jobs, right? Um, students do not necessarily make contributions is what they would say. Um, in Korea, um, which is fairly recent destination country, um, we started um, receiving migrants and immigrants uh, since uh, 1990s. And of course, 
initially they were migrant workers. And from the very beginning, even now, uh, Koreans do not have the kind of policies that the U.S. has to allow them to stay after a certain period. All migrant workers are considered as temporary migrants. Um, we do not necessarily have um, open door policy um, for migrants. However, marriage immigrants were welcomed. Uh, they were welcome because uh, they could, like I said, um, solve the social issue that they had. And nowadays, um, if you look at actually uh, immigration policy in Korea, um, they do talk about how they want to um, create uh, more space for professional migrants, people who ha- who are equipped with more um, educational background uh, or um, professional background. So they are um, creating these measures. They could be used against people who do not have what they are looking for. However, one has to wonder what is the boundaries? What is the border? And why do we have these? Why Why do we have this kind of selective process for immigrants. If you're going to have immigrants, why can you just, you know, accept all? Mm. Maybe that's kind of (laughs) an idealist (laughs) way of looking at it. But I think Mm -hmm. it is a good question to pursue. Yeah, definitely. And it is, um, it is definitely really sad that this neoliberal idea of autonomous, uh, um, enterprising individuals who make monetary contribution is seen as the only ideal of immigrants or deserving uh, citizens in a country um, because it is definitely really internalized. And I think that's why for a lot of people, it seems that it's just a matter of course. I think a disturbing part of it is that people don't even contest it it's uh right yeah yeah and um i think that is when that is also what shows that uh, neoliberalism is just so powerfully just ingrained in our um society and i'm um, challenging that with the question that you asked why can't we accept more people like what is the meaning of border i think that's definitely a starting point for us to contest that and talk about how valuation of human life should go beyond that and be more holistic and I mean yeah I for me as well I think we should just value everyone um but then um I think that people would contest that but it's it is definitely a worthy discussion to keep uh to keep having right yeah actually that question will bring up Mm. inequality among countries Mm. right because people because they want to find a better place and why do we have that kind of inequalities among countries it's a relevant question yeah oh minjung you cut out for a little bit uh, oh sorry is it okay? oh oh yeah um i can hear you now though is it okay if you repeat uh what you said uh so sorry i couldn't hear you no, that's okay um yeah i think that question about what is the meaning of the border um, and why do we have this selective process um, that leads us to the issue of 
global inequality. Um, ultimately, it's about that. We have these uh, inequalities among countries. Why developing countries are developing countries? Um, why developing countries do not have what developed countries, right? Um, that's going to bring up a whole lot of uh, issues um, neoliberalism, colonial history, uh, exploitative relationships, um, military uh, enterprises, all those issues. Mm. So mm. I know it's a big question, but it is definitely <laughs> something that we should ask. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. And this um this brings me to um something that you talk about, I think, at the conclusion of your uh, book about uh, multiculturalism fatigue and implication of changing Korean policy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, can you tell us? Uh, t- can you tell us more about that? Uh, about the impact that it's having on marriage immigrants today. Right. Um, so multicultural. What is interesting about Korea's multiculturalism is that um, Koreans really didn't involve immigrants or migrants into multicultural um, uh, endeavors. Um, Koreans felt the need to help uh, marriage immigrants. They started multicultural policies, um, but the immigrants were not invited to the decision-making process. And now, like I said, Korea is a new destination country. So they have newcomers every year, every day, every month, every year. And um, so as they try to um, apply multicultural policies, multicultural family policies to these new immigrants that are growing in numbers, um, they got tired, I guess. So... Um, multicultural fatigue, which is a concept that was um, uh, developed by a Korean scholar, um, was very fascinating to me because, like I said before, multicultural family policy, it really drew a lot of attention from Koreans. And the Korean government really spent a lot of money and energy. But its result really didn't make that far. There were a lot of good changes However, I don't think it made that much difference. We are really kind of, um, you know, we are really on the still on the surface of what multicultural society should look like. Um, but then they started talking about multicultural fatigue. So what I see is that Koreans were got really excited about um, all these immigrants that are coming. In the beginning, they were kind of celebratory mood because they are like, we are so developed now that these immigrants want to come to our country. And then they wanted to help and they wanted to help and they made some progress but after a while they got tired of it okay what do we have to do more but even in that position i don't think they made that much effort to include immigrants into their discussion there are there's a still divide or separation between the korean government and immigrants run organizations they are still korean government is still working with korean run organizations but not much with immigrant run organization. So you have to wonder what kind of multicultural society that they are thinking of, right? Probably they are thinking of being inclusive of immigrants, but still 
Koreans are the one who caused the shot. Is that a multicultural society? So um, there are a lot more work to do. We have to admit that uh, Korea has a really, really short history with immigrants. So in a way, we just have to wait and give Korea some time. But on the other hand, it's been almost uh, over 20 years. And we have to think about what kind of changes can we see in the next 20 years. And when we think about that, I don't know how much we can be optimistic. I do want to be optimistic, but I don't know how much I can be. So um, so that's where, uh, that's how... Um, I talked about that um, and I was hoping that we could really find the ways to um, move current discourses about immigrants and multicultural families forward. And I guess um, to I guess to answer my own call, I'm working on an edited volume. Um, it's tentatively titled "The Redefining Multicultural Families," and I have been working with um, many young junior scholars. Um, in order to expand um, our discussions on multiculturalism, uh, multicultural families. And um, first, the thing that I wanted to do was multicultural families should not be just about the families with marriage immigrants. We have to also recognize other forms of immigrant families. So um, so that's what I'm currently doing. I, that's what I was thinking of when I was writing that concluding chapter. And um, and I guess I talked a little bit about what I'm doing too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. That sounds like an amazing project. And I was thinking of what does it mean then to have multicultural society, family, uh, when I was reading your book. So I am really looking forward to reading that edited volume. I think that we definitely need to have more conversation about this. And it is very very important. And I think you made a very incisive point when you pointed out how the government actually does not have much connection to Filipina-run organizations and how that is just so telling about the type of multicultural society that is actually very exclusive. Um, that is that the South Korean government is creating. Um, so I think that was a really incisive point, and that made me think about how the the agency of uh, Filipina immigrant um, immigrant marriage immigrants, and in your introduction, uh, you do talk about uh, social um, emotional citizenship, and. Um, I was thinking of how in chapter seven, uh, you were talking about the dynamic of sister solidarities. Um, so there is group anxiety within, um, you know, this group of Filipina uh, immigrant, marriage immigrants. But then at the same time, there is a solidarity that is formed. And also, I thought this was really fascinating at an interpersonal love level with their in-law families. Um the performance of heterosexual love, you use scripting theory, um, allow them to found social citizenship. Um, so I guess shifting the conversation to focus on a Filipina marriage immigrants, uh, my question would be how much 
agency do you think they have in shaping their own social citizenship, especially because they don't have much of a state connection, it seems? And how important do you think uh, is the connection, various connections that they have uh, to their in-law families, other Filipina organizations and sisters, um, as well as um, Korean people that they interact day to day? Thank you so much for your question. Um, actually, in one of my articles uh, that I published for this book, uh, talks about um, my own struggle in discussing agency with Irish immigrants. Uh, oftentimes, people have this two binary. Uh, people have this binary idea about marriage immigrants, whether they are victims of abusive husbands uh, or matchmaking agents into uh, international marriage uh, or, I mean, they're not victims, but um, basically uh, sacrificial lamb for their struggling families in their home. Uh, or um, they are seen as opportunists um, who marry uh, Korean men without necessarily love. Um, they use marriage in order to move to another country um, and um, they actually enter the marriage without thinking that they are going to stay in marriage, right? Um, however, of course, these women's real lives, they are more complicated than that. And it was not necessarily, I felt, easy job to convey that. And I guess that was one of my, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to write a book, because you really cannot convey complicated, nuanced relationships that these women have with different um, people around them. Uh, so I really wanted to get a closer look. I wanted to um, uh, sh- portray uh, their stories uh, uh, closely. Um, and uh, and as I do, I wanted to kind of highlight emotional parts uh, in their experiences, um, because I think there are a lot of uh, connections um, between their agency and emotional experiences that they have. You see, a lot of people want to highlight agency when people have good lives. However, people still exercise agency when they are having difficulties. Just because they cannot overcome their struggles, that doesn't mean that they didn't have agency. So what does it mean for a person who has agency, who cannot make decisions that they want because the circumstances that they are in did not have that option. I wanted to show their emotional struggles, conflicting feelings that they have. And they all had that kind of complicated relationships with different people. So, um, uh, so in political so, uh, political science and sociology, um, people talk about uh, emotions um, or emotional relationships uh, in public sphere, um, in social movements, uh, and also their relationship with the state. Um, and I wanted to kind of bring that to interpersonal relationship um, and how immigrants, marriage immigrants, emotional relationships at the interpersonal level can actually facilitate their relationship with the state. So um, in the book, uh, each chapter focuses on their relationship with different people. So one chapter focuses on their conjugal relationship. So I talk about different stories, um, different couples' stories. Uh, One, you know, uh, well, a couple of 
well, some couples they start with love, and their love is a challenge. Um, some people keep their love because their lives are good. Uh, some people they lose their love because their lives are so difficult. And I also talk about people who met um, not necessarily with deep love, but because they are. Idea of an ideal family um, uh, kind of go together, right?、Um, husband wanted to be the provider. The wife was、uh, the wife wanted to find the provider,、uh, and they went well without necessarily deep love. Are we going to say that that is not a good couple?、Um, but also, I wanted to、uh, show how these couples still have, even in their generally good lives, they can have. Um, daily struggles、um, for different reasons.、Um, in another chapter, I highlighted、um, their relationship with、uh, in-laws, not just their husband, but also in-laws. And and there, I wanted to focus on、uh, economic anxiety, right?、Uh, about how、um, how husbands of family、um, they. Are looking for marriage immigrants because these men could not find their wives. They could not find the wives in Korea because they, in a lot of cases,、um, they live in rural areas or they are from low socioeconomic status.、Um, that means a lot of these families have existing economic anxiety before they、um, go into international marriage, and they go into international marriage with this all these. Stereotypes about marriage immigrants: how they are marrying Korean men so that they can help their families back home.、Uh, how they sometimes want to marry men in order to get into the country. So how are you going to make them stay? You know, all this、um, anxiety that they have can be expressed in not so nice way to wives.、Um, but instead of saying that they are abusive, I thought it would be important to show all fuller picture of their experiences. So each chapter kind of looks at、um, these different relationships,、uh, including、uh, relationships among、uh, marriage immigrants uh, and how uh, Filipinas um, their relationships uh, have. Sense of solidarity as well as competition、um, and challenge among themselves.、Um, so I hope that when people read the book, they can understand that it is not easy to call、um, somebody's agency by looking at the outcome when they are still living,、um, and it is difficult to say、um, that one could not exercise agency.、Um, Just because they could not make the decision that they wanted, because a lot of people cannot, but then a lot of people also justify their decisions based on what they have. So、um, I think it's really complicated issue, but I think it is also important for us that、um, what how we understand the agency. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that was something that I was thinking about as I was reading your book too, because we often have a very straightforward idea of agency as doing what you want in a way or what you can, but often that is very contextual. As in, you know, it could be the、uh, circumstances, and it could also be related to power dynamic. There is a social script. 
script that you also talk about in your chapter uh, that um, shapes your desire and then also your agency. And that, you know, sometimes they align, sometimes they do not. But then as you importantly pointed out, that even if they do not align, the that can also mean agency as well. So how we talk about agency is actually really important. And I think um, it needs to be more thoughtfully used, which I think you do in your book, which is um, which I really loved. Um, so well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is interesting? I mean, for me, um, an interesting question was not about, I mean, not only, it's not only about ascertaining um, whether marriage immigrants have agency or exercise agency, but also how a writer can convey their agency, especially those who are in situations where they cannot make decisions for themselves, um, but they still try to make the best decisions for themselves. Um, yeah, so so that was um, that was something that I had to kind of think about um, for a long time. <laughs> Mm, yeah, I that's such an important question and something that I will probably also struggle with in my dissertation that will come very, very long time afterwards. But I definitely think that as a scholar and as a writer, I think it's just so important to have that ethical question in mind. Um, how do you convey agency for those who are not in the circumstances to be able to exercise it in a traditional way? Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you for asking that question. And yeah, I have taken a lot of your time. Um, but the New Books Network have, um, you know, have the traditional concluding question about your new project, which you already actually talked about um, in the exciting edited volume that's coming out about the meaning of multiculturalism. But then before we end the show, I still wanted to ask you this final question about, can you tell us more about your new project? Yeah. Uh, So in addition to this new edited volume that is currently titled Redefining Multicultural Families, um, I'm currently working um, in my town uh, in San Diego. Uh, San Diego is a border city. Um, We are near the U.S.-Mexico border and our neighboring city is Tijuana. Um, And not many people know about this um, community, but there is actually a Korean immigrant community in the border region. Uh, and they are, and they started uh, coming to this region uh, in early in the early nineties, uh, when uh, around the time the NAFTA was implemented, and that's North America Free Trade Agreement. Uh, and they came with actually Korea uh, Korean multicultural corporations. So a lot of, um, originally, a lot of Koreans came um, with their companies, um, Korean multicultural corporations like Samsung, Hyundai, and of course, there are subcontractors, um, but also they stayed. Uh, a lot of people stayed. And also they recruited um, people uh, to the region to work for these companies. Um, they are a rare border commuter who live in the U.S. but work in Tijuana. Uh, a lot of U.S.-Mexico border studies, they focus on Mexican or Mexican-American experiences. And usually border commuters, they live in Mexico and they work in the U.S. But these Korean uh, border commuters are the opposite. 
they are uh, kind of reversed um, and they are young community um, because they, you know, they started kind of um, building the community uh, in the mid 1990s. And a lot of them actually went back, um, but uh, many of them also stayed in the region. So I'm looking at their experiences and what it means to live in um, the border region, um, border region, uh, and the border region um, that straddle um, two countries that these people uh, are new to. Right, a lot of times border. Um, residents uh, or border region studies, uh, border studies, I should say, uh, border studies, um, they talk about people uh, from either country of the border. Um, but these are basically um, people who are from neither country and they are trying to learn both countries. So uh, it's an ethnographic study. Um, at the moment, I am um, interviewing people um, but because of my obligations uh, at school, uh, the the data collection process, the interview process has been going really slow. Um, but it's been a really exciting project. Uh, and it, I, I found it fascinating uh, to learn all these different people's path to path to the area. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. And I always knew that San Diego is a really interesting place to be in, precisely as you said, because it's a border town. But I don't think I have read any work that focus on uh, immigrant communities that are from neither countries. And you know, it just also brings up in my mind all these questions about racialization too, because it's uh, U.S.-Mexico border. So I also really wonder what uh, these immigrants think about their own positionality and their understanding of U.S. versus Mexico and the fact that they came from you know, multinational corporations in the South is also very interesting in terms of how they would also situate themselves. Um, yeah, so it sounds really fascinating. And uh, I know that you're very busy with the schoolwork, but I really look forward to reading it that when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have uh, one book chapter that just came out. Um, and also, since you are, I mean, I'm usually, when I study immigrant families, um, I also focus on gender aspect of it. And uh, when I look at uh, these population, it is very, you know, heteronormative families. Um, and it makes me think about how economy um, and especially global trades, um, how they are male-centered. Um, uh, so it's kind of new to me. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of, uh, I have to study like, you know, uh, economic side of the whole, um, issue, um, which is completely new to me. Um, but it has been very, uh, uh, it's been, it has been fascinating, um, to kind of delve into this really new, uh, community, new, um, uh, population uh, and also new area of study. Uh, yeah, I can I can imagine and about the gender aspect as well. Like I also think about how you know F one students they sometimes come in and mostly with male students with their wives and how wives cannot work at all. And I uh, don't know about the empl employees, but I imagine it's something very similar. So I yeah. think, uh, as you said, looking at the gender dynamic of these very heteronormative families with wives who cannot legally work, but who might work 
nevertheless, um, as you actually talk about with the uh, Filipina immigrants as well, uh, marriage immigrants as well, um, it would be definitely very fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually yeah. published, uh, yeah, I actually published the work about the international students' wives long time yeah. ago. I can send you the chapter. Oh, I, yeah, I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I have really observed how a lot of immigrant, uh, yeah, I guess, um, immigrant students, uh, international students, um, they're mostly males and they bring their wives over and they feel very confined about right. not being able to work and they also feel pressured in their like reproductive labor in a sense like domestic labor and uh, because they are not uh, contributing economically so oh uh, right. yeah i would love to read the work thank you thank you so much you're welcome <laughs> yeah. i do want to yeah. say that a lot of times it looks like individual decisions but mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with immigration policy that okay. actually follows that heteronormative model that mm-hmm. you can have one visa holder and the other people should be dependent oh, interesting this yeah idea yeah. of dependency that's very mm-hmm. gentle yeah mm. yeah but th- thank you so much though like i have already taken up too much of your time but thank you for your um all your insights and your amazing book i enjoyed reading it a lot and it has been very helpful for developing my own research interest as well um thank you so much for being in the show today and i hope that you take care of yourself during the time of covid thank you thank you so thank much you. you too yeah thank you Thank you.